We've been in a sermon series called Truly Blessed. And so I want to kind of bring you up to date to where we've been this far. Um, and so kind of give you a guide to living. That's what Truly Blessed is all about. These are the attitudes. We're walking through the Beatitudes. Jesus says these are the attitudes that would be in your life if you want to be a part of his kingdom. If you want to be a part of the new heavens and new earth, this is what Jesus is saying you're supposed to live like. So week one, we talked through blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about poor in spirit is being humble. It's being admitted to who you are and, and, and really giving yourself to Jesus. Week two, we talked through blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. That Jesus can only be your comforter if you allow him to. But a lot of times we, we search for things to be our own comfort rather than Jesus. We need to allow Jesus to be our comforter. And last week we talked, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That meekness is not weakness. That it's not weakness to be tenderhearted and compassionate towards others. It is a form of being like Christ. And today we're going to skip ahead a couple verses and then we're going to come back next week to catch up. So we're going to go through all the Beatitudes, but we're skipping ahead a couple verses today. So as we have been doing each and every week, we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1, verse through verses 12. And so it's going to be on the screen behind me. You can go ahead and follow along with your Bibles, but here it is Matthew chapter 1 or chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says this Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revel you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who came before you. The one we're going to focus on today is verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, let's pray one more time. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. This morning we ask that your presence would be here. We give you all praise, glory, and honor, God. Thank you for this book that we can read, this guide to life, that we can come to know you more. We thank you for your word, for your scripture. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way. We love you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let me ask you a question. How many of us in the room, and you don't have to raise your hand, but you certainly can, have you ever been caught red-handed in a lie? Red-handed, you've been caught in a lie, right? And it could be as simple as maybe I'm just going to give a scenario so that it doesn't get too real for us, you know, at 10.38 in the morning. You know what I mean? We don't want to go too hard at you, right? So it could be as simple as maybe you were a kid and your parents asked you if you took something out of the fridge, like maybe you took some ice cream, right? And what would your initial response be? No, definitely not. I definitely didn't take any ice cream from the fridge, right? It's your human nature to deny it. It's your human nature to say, no, that wasn't me. I don't know why the fridge door is left open. That wasn't me. And then maybe they respond with, oh, okay. And then for a moment you think to yourself, yes, I got away with it, right? You're like, yeah, I got away with it. But then they walk over the kitchen and they point to the freezer and they say, well, why is the freezer open? 
And why is the ice cream scoop over here in the sink with ice cream on it, right? Are you sure you didn't get something from the freezer, right? And you know that feeling when you've been caught red-handed. It's kind of like you got like something caught in your throat and you're like, oh, you know what I mean, right? You kind of got that, that, oh man, somebody caught me doing that, right? And this is an example not from a real-life experience at all in my personal experience of life. It's not a real-life example, but this is just an example for you to see that how many times if we're caught in a lie, our first initial reaction is to hide. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, my question is, why is our first response, no matter what it is, whether it's ice cream or maybe it's something serious or maybe it's you even get pulled over by the police and then you're like, I, I wasn't speeding. And I'm like, I know I was. No, 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 I definitely wasn't speeding, right? It's to deny, deny, deny. And you might be thinking, well, you know what? If you're in the room, you're thinking to yourself, I don't do that. I'm honest, Right? You're honestly a liar, right? If you think that you didn't do this at some point in your life, right? You remember, maybe now you've grown to the place where you're comfortable in your skin enough to, to be honest, but maybe think back when you were little. Think back when you were just getting ice cream as a little tyke. You know what I mean, right? You were certainly not telling the truth on the first hand, right? That's not how we are wired. It's weird to think about this. And I've often wondered why our inclination is to hide our sin or to hide what we've done when we've been caught red-handed. And I actually think it goes all the way back to the garden. When Adam and Eve were caught red-handed when they had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what is the very first thing they did? They hid. They hid. They ran and hid from God and they were ashamed. They brought shame into the world and they hid from God. They realized their nakedness and they hid. Shame entered the picture for the first time and it's still here today. And I believe since that point, God has been drawing us out into an honest and real relationship with him. And for some of us, it takes a lot longer to enter that honest and real relationship with God. And for some of us, it's a younger experience. Whatever we have, God is drawing us out but we have barriers of sin and shame and the fact that we want to hide. But we want to see God. I truly believe most of us in the room, we want to have an experience with God. Would you agree with that, right? You want to have an experience with God. You're not coming to church just because you're looking for something to add to your schedule, right? You're coming to church because you want to experience the true, real God. So my question is this morning, how do we truly see God? How do we truly see God? And that brings me to our verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If we want to see God, then we need to be pure in heart. So that brings me to this question. What does it mean to be pure in heart? What does it mean to be pure in heart? And is that even something that's attainable because we live in a fallen and broken world? Let's look to the Psalms. This is really, it's, it's, it's kind of the closest comparison that we can see in the Old Testament to exactly what Jesus was talking about. Psalms 24, this is a Psalm of David. Let's read it together. He says this, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, 
What does that person do? They do not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is a generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. I'm going to read this. There's this pastor, his name's John Piper, and he had something to say on this, and I thought it was really interesting. He says this, A pure heart is a heart that has nothing to do with falsehood. It's painstakingly truthful and free from deceitfulness. Deceit is what you do when you will two things, not one thing. You will to do one thing, and you want people to think you're doing something else, right? That's impurity of heart. You want people to look at you a specific way, but really you're living in a completely different way. What is purity of heart? Purity of heart is this, to seek the face of the Lord. So when you're thinking about this, this is where religion comes in, and it's a little difficult. Religion can get into the conversation really quickly because I believe sometimes we think we can't be honest with God. I believe to be pure in heart, we have to be honest with God, honest about our feelings, honest about our faults, honest about our expectations. Look at David as an example. Was he a perfect person? No, he was not. He made many mistakes. He made so many mistakes. But yet, the Bible labels him as someone who was a man after God's own heart. And he's writing here specifically how to be a pure heart. You think we would not be taking advice on how to have a pure heart from someone who had an adulterous affair and then killed the husband. You think we wouldn't be explaining that. But he is relying on the same thing that we will rely on in order to have a pure heart, and that is the grace of God. I don't know if this was me or if this was specifically told to me or maybe if this is just an inclination that I had growing up in church, and and, and maybe you'll feel this way. But when I was growing up in church, I felt I could not be honest with God. I felt like if I was honest with God about my negative thoughts, if I was honest with him about my fears, about my sins, then it would almost be like he would say, you know what, I made a mistake, I shouldn't have died for you. You know, like it's kind of like that thing I had in my head, like I have to be good enough. When you realize that God is omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's all places at all times, he sees everything, it's foolish to have this hidden life away from God. But yet, how many of us can relate that we've had that at one time or another? Maybe you have your you know, journal that you're like, I write these things in there and God can't see them, right? Whatever it is, like you have this life that's separate from your life as a Christian. And it's especially difficult, I believe, for those of us who grew up in the church because of this idea that we can't be real with God, that we can't share our true feelings and what's happening. And I believe a lot of times the natural progression for those who feel they cannot be honest with God, they add rules into the equation. They add rules. So suddenly, because I'm following the rules, my sins and my shortcomings don't feel so overwhelming. I don't know about you, but I add these rules in, and there's kind of parameters. And even though I break them, I still have them. 
So it kind of feels like I'm doing better. Even though I keep breaking them the same way I would have if I didn't have the rules, it kind of feels like I'm doing the right thing. And that's what John Piper's talking about. We do one thing, and we actually want people and God to think we're doing something else. I want to live a specific way on Sunday or around a certain people, but everybody else, I'm completely different. Here's what he says. Verse 6. Such is a generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. If we want to be pure in heart, it starts with seeking the face of God. To be pure in heart is fully, wholly, completely seeking the face of the Lord. Not hiding, but stepping into the limelight. How difficult is it for you to reveal yourself to God? Just a, just a question to think about. How difficult is it for you to say, this is who I am? Therein lies the barricade between you and God and the reality of what you think you are in your standing of God and where you truly are are much different. Let's look in James chapter 4. I'm going to continue on the seeking the face. What does it mean to be pure in heart? James chapter 4, starting in verse 6, says this. But he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. God shows favor to the humble, and he opposes those who are proud. He shows favor to those who adequately seek his face. But the proud, those who stand in front of him with hidden things or with pride or with their own ideology in front of his, those are who he opposes. I love the image of what it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's such a beautiful picture. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Check this out. It doesn't say draw near to God and he will save you doesn't say draw near to God and he will forgive you. Those two are both true. They are true and they are counterparts to what he's saying. But it says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And everything else comes along with it. Forgiveness, salvation, that comes along with closeness to God. What God really wants is to be near you. What God really wants is to be near you. What do you want with the people who are most important in your life and the relationship that you have? You want to be close with them. You don't want to have distance. You don't want to have hidden things. You don't want to have barriers. You want to be close. And you know that the more you allow barriers into your relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship or whether it's a friendship, whatever it is, the more barriers you allow, the harder it is to do what? To connect. Because I'm, I can't really feel you. I'm not near you. 
God's heart is to be near you. God's heart is to be close to you. How do we do that? It says, wash your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right? It's kind of very pointed, but that's really what John Piper was getting at. We're double-minded a lot of times. To God, I'm here. To the earth, I'm here. Right? To purify our hearts means I'm fully and totally in allegiance to God the Father. And we can't see God if we're double-minded. Why? We can't see him because we're only half-focused on him. We're half-focused here and here. So we don't see God. It's like the reality is how many of us think we're great multitaskers? I would be one of those people, okay? No one has to raise their hand, but I would be one of those people, right? Where I say, like, I'm my strength finders, right? It said that I was an arranger, which I feel like most of those are made up. You know what I mean? But they're cool. It's a cool test to take. You know what I mean, right? It's all great. And it's not made up. It's true. Sorry to the strength finders people out there who are strength finders stands and everything else. But, right? But it's just like an arranger is like I could multitask. I can't multitask. I forget everything, Right? It's just because I don't think we're good multitaskers. We can't have a Christian life here and then a fake life here. We can have a Christian life and a worldly life, and we can have a relationship here but a different relationship here. We, it doesn't work like that. We're holistic people. It all goes into one. There's a, a guy in my life, and he likes to share with me as often as I have a conversation with him, which is every day because we work together, but he, he says this thing. He says, the most important thing that you do is your personal time with God. And he's like, I'm 69 years old, and I'll keep telling you every single day, the most important thing you do is your personal relationship and your personal time with God. Sometimes when I'm irritated because he knows I'm a Christian and a pastor, he'll say, did you have your time with God? And I say, I don't want to hear that from you, Right? Because I haven't, because I've been thinking about myself, because I've been pushing other things as a priority. My allegiance is to me. It is not to God. And then I can't see God because I am looking at myself. I believe we have to set time to have a prioritized relationship with God. If we want to see him, if we want to draw near to him, and he will draw near to us, then the attitude of having a relationship with him must be prevalent in our lives. Every single day, God, I want to reveal more of myself. God, I want to speak to you. God, I want to connect with you. God, I want to talk with you. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples. Jesus says this in Matthew 22, verse 37, speaking about how to see God and to, to purify your hearts. He said, listen, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Not with part of your heart, not with part of your soul, not with a portion of your mind, with all of it. Anything else would be to be double-minded, to be non-focused. Purity of heart, there is no deception, there is no divided allegiance. In order to be pure, we need to be real with God, we need to be humble before him. But that brings me to the question, is all of this even possible? Is purity of heart even possible? Proverbs 20 verse 9 says this, Who can say, I have kept my, my heart pure, 
and I am clean and without sin. Who can say that, right? It's a rhetorical question. No one. No one can say that I've kept my heart pure. No one can say I'm clean and without sin. The author of the proverb is pointing out that we are all sinners and we are all in need of God's grace. We are all in need of him to draw near to us. And that's really encouraging, isn't it? Right? This verse is like one of those verses where it's like you want to beat yourself up. You can, you can read this one. No, this is not. The point of it is to show you your need for God. And this is kind of how the disciples felt, right? Who can do this? You remember the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? Jesus turns to him and says, sell all of your possessions to the poor and come and follow me. And the man says, uh, no, I got a lot of money. I'm not doing it. I just took out a lease on the new Tesla. No, thank you, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And then he walks away. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. What is this parable that Jesus is saying? He wanted to keep his kingdom on earth and also serve the kingdom of heaven. The money was a byproduct of his true heart and his true attention. His attention would not have been on Jesus. So Jesus said, listen, if you're going to have a real relationship with me, if you want me to draw near to you and I to you, then you need to get rid of all of the distractions and come and follow me. This is an invitation that only a handful of people got in all of Scripture. And this man, the rich young ruler, received a personal invitation from the God of the universe, and he chose his possessions. His mind was double. He chose himself. Right? And when the disciples heard this, this is what they said. They, they, they witnessed that conversation. Matthew 26, 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And they asked, okay, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? They're like, you know, hey, uh, Jesus, this guy was rich. He was young. He had power. He had influence. If he doesn't make it, we're in big trouble. Who then can be saved? This is what Jesus says. Jesus looks at them. Verse 26, the next verse. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, God creates a purity in us so we can see him. Not through our own doing, but through his sacrifice. And by his grace, we must seek that gift. Let's pray the same prayer that David prayed in Psalms 51.10. You may know it. He says this, create in me a clean heart, O God. Then he says, Lord, if there is any wicked way within me, remove it so that I can be connected with you. He says, search my heart. If there is anything wicked, that's the prayer of those who want to follow the kingdom of heaven and follow Jesus to have a pure heart. The same prayer that David prayed. Search my heart, O Lord. See if there is any wicked way within me. Take it away and create in me a clean heart. God is the one who purifies your heart. If you're asking the question, is this possible? 
With man, it is impossible. You will never have enough rules. You will never have enough regulations. There will never be enough government funding for you to find faith or find hope outside of Jesus. He's the only one. God is the one who purifies our heart. Therefore, we need to live out our faith. And in order to live out our faith, we need to draw near to him. We need to have our attention on him. This attitude says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, that's my goal, that I would seek his face, that I would come to know him, that I would trust in him. And how do I do that? By accepting his gift of what he did for me, by not working for it, by trusting that he's good enough, that his grace is sufficient for me. I think most of us in the room as Christians, the moment I think we start to begin to see God is when we see him as accepting us rather than us working for his acceptance. Always felt like I wasn't good enough. How many times, and just how many times growing up, how many times with you have you started to read the Bible and then stopped and thought, oh man, I did it again? Maybe you had four or five good days of devotional and then you're like, yeah, right? Or maybe you were just loving the worship, the worship music, and then you went right back on to whatever else and you just didn't think about worshiping Him again for two months. How many times have we strayed away, but yet he's so consistent and he's so gracious. And this is the call of those who want to see God. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. The call of those who want to see God, the call of those who want to have a pure heart is this. Trust in the Lord with all of your Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own knowledge of scripture. Don't lean on your own knowledge of what's right and wrong. Trust in the Lord. We need to be single-minded on Jesus. We need to be real and humble before him. And by faith, accept what he did for us on the cross. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. What do you need to do in order to seek his face? Do you need to cut out a time of your week so that you can connect with him daily? Do you need to change a habit that you know is wrong? Are you double-minded? Are you having one foot here and one foot there? I want to encourage you to trust in Jesus with everything you have and put your faith in him. Father, we thank you. I thank you for our church. And this morning, we want to come before you. We want to ask that you would clean our hearts, oh God. That you would search our hearts. If there is any wickedness in us, that you would remove it so that we may have a relationship connected with you. Remove any barriers. Remove any blockades. God, we want to draw near to you you to draw near to us. We want to see you, God. We want to see you. 
just like we sang earlier, will never know how much it cost. Your kindness, your grace cost you everything. So today, as your humble servants, we come before you and we ask that you would clean our hearts, that you would purify our minds, that you would draw us closer to you. God, I pray today for our friends who are in this room, that this week they would feel your presence palpably, that they would feel your spirit, that they would feel your grace they would not go a day without remembering who you are and what you've done, that you would be evident in their lives. We love you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.